Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be joined by Chris Porter today. And if you know anything about Chris Porter, you know you're in for a real treat. If you don't know anything about Chris Porter, let me just tell you, he wrote a book called Big Shifts Ahead, which is over my right shoulder here if you're watching on YouTube. So an amazing book all about, you know, really about demographics, about trends, about migration, about, you know, consumption patterns. And, you know, it's really a must read for business owners, real estate investors, entrepreneurs alike. So you definitely want to read that book, but we're going to dive into what big shifts are ahead now, because this book was written, you know, before COVID-19, before 2020, uh, became such a bizarre year that it has become in so many different ways. So I'm excited to dive in to what big shifts are ahead now and what should we, you know, how should we skate to where the puck is going, so to speak. And so I want to ask you the question that I always ask, are you ready to take it to another level? Because we're absolutely going to do that today. We're absolutely going to be diving into the mind of an expert and really talking about, you know, how can we elevate our results in our real estate portfolio, in our businesses, and get ahead of where massive shifts are occurring. And, you know, we're, we're absolutely experiencing a life-changing year, um, not only from a personal level, but from a business level. And so really excited about sharing this content with you today. And I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind-expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. And as you know, it is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And you, you know this, but I have to remind you every single time, we will distill the mindset, the habits, the routines, the systems, the tools the strategies, you know, we're going to really be talking a lot about strategy today and so much more from an individual like Chris Porter, you know, an individual who is really elevating to a life without limits and, and allowing others to elevate to a life without limits through his consulting, through the information that he distills as he reads the tea leaves and, and really, you know, coalesce, uh, coalesces so much important data and information to make decisions so that you can elevate to a life without limits. At the end of the day, you've got to arm yourself with the appropriate information so that you can be thoughtful and strategic in how you're growing your business and how you're making decisions in your life, in your business, and so on and so forth. So, this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing personal growth, other ventures, and most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you appreciate what my team and I are doing, uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating if you're so inclined. And leave a review of what you are specifically taking away from the show. I always love to hear that and it really fills up my soul. So I certainly appreciate you listening. And if you're enjoying it, uh, go ahead and, and give us a review and, and subscribe so you're notified. Again, we come out with uh, new shows every Tuesday and Friday. So I'm super blessed to be able to share that with you. And so anyway, enjoy this wide ranging and thought provoking conversation with Chris Porter. So with that said, I want to introduce you to Chris Porter, who is a senior vice president and chief demographer at John Burns Real Estate Consulting, a boutique firm that helps executives make more informed residential real estate decisions. In his role, Chris helps the firm helps the firm's clients understand the role demographics play in shaping the demand for housing in the short and long term, as well as demographics impact on the overall economy. Along with CEO John Burns, Chris co-authored Big Shifts Ahead, Demographic Clarity for Businesses, which is a phenomenal book written to help executives make sense of the seemingly confusing topic of demographics, which is such a big driver of demand, not just for housing, but for so many goods and services. Chris is based in Orange County, California, where he lives with his wife and three young daughters. Chris, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Doing well, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. We were just talking uh, before the show here and just want to, you know, extend some gratitude to you guys for doing what you do. Obviously, you know, shedding light on so much, you know, complexity out there, whether it's related to demographics or, or behavioral shifts. I mean, certainly appreciate everything you guys do. And, you know, with all that said, I mean, tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself behind the bio. Like who is Chris Porter as a man? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm in a Midwesterner at heart. I was uh, kind of raised in, in the Midwest, in Michigan. And uh, even though I've now lived outside of the Midwest more than I've lived in it, uh, I, I still go back to those those roots. And when people ask me where I'm from, I, I say I'm from the Midwest. 
Um, but been out here in California now, Southern California for the last 15 years. Uh, really came out here for this job, and I've been there now for 15 years. Uh, John Burns Real Estate Consulting. We provide um, really analysis and, and advice to anybody who's invested in housing in one shape or another. Uh, focused on the U.S., we do for sale, we do for rent, but really trying to understand what ultimately drives the demand for housing and, and where is that that growth going to come, and, and just help our our, our our clients make better informed decisions and give them more confidence in those decisions they're making about how they're investing their, their time and their money. So how did you get into that? I mean, what, what interests you about that line of work just out of curiosity? So kind of a roundabout way. I, I did some financial consulting after college for a few years and then went back to school and, and got a master's degree in journalism. I'd always kind of dabbled in journalism in high school and college and always found it really interesting. And so I, I did a one year master's program in journalism and uh, it was in Chicago and I knew I wanted to stay in Chicago. I knew I wanted to uh, be in journalism. And so I found this company uh, that did business to business magazines. I didn't, uh, I was assigned to the group that did magazines for home builders and remodelers. And I didn't know anything about, uh, about those industries, but I knew something about journalism and I knew something about digital journalism specifically. And um, they said, we can teach you the industry. And so I got to uh, learn about the industry that way, just kind of absorbing it through as we were creating content. And, um, John Burns was a contributing columnist to the, the magazine and to the website that I work for. And we just got to know each other over the, the couple of years I was there. And um, as he was looking to grow his business, he was kind of a one man shop, had grown to about four or five people by the time we started having a conversation. And um, just one day out of the blue, kind of got a call from him saying, what do you think about California? And I, I said, I'd, I'd actually never been to, to California before. And um, I came out here in the middle of February. I left Chicago in the middle of February came to, to California. Sold. It was brilliant, brilliant marketing on his part. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was sold on, on California. So, um, you know, I, I came at it from a journalism uh, background, learned about the industry, involved in the industry, and then it kind of comes full circle when we wound up writing a book about, uh, about housing and, and demographic demand. Yeah, it absolutely did come full circle there. And it certainly all makes sense to me now. I mean, what a great book. And uh, you guys have really shed so much light on the fact that, you know, consumer behavior and just behavior in general shifts and, and it continues to shift. And, and when you guys wrote the book, you know, there were absolutely some big shifts occurring. And of course, 2020, I mean, has been, you know, a total game changer in many different capacities. So what, I, what I'd love to really focus our conversation on today to a large degree is, you know, what else are we seeing? I mean, what, what other shifts should we expect? you know, coming out of this pandemic and who knows, maybe we, maybe we are coming out of the pandemic. Maybe we've still got quite a bit to go here. And obviously we've got, you know, societal changes in different ways, but you know, we also have an election coming up. Uh, we have an economy that, you know, we're still trying to get a, an understanding of where we truly are. You look at wall street, you look at main street, and perhaps there's a, a lot of differences there. So, you know, where, where should we start? I mean, how, how do we, how do we make sense of this and how do we skate, you know, ahead of where the puck is going, so to speak, you know, as as real estate investors, as entrepreneurs and thinking ahead and making appropriate decisions to get ahead of, you know, get ahead of the game here. That's a great question. That's a lot of questions in there, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I want to even take a step back just a little bit and talk about sort of why we wrote the book. Um, we just felt there was a lot of conversations out there around cocktail tables, around the dinner table about here's what the boomers are doing or here's what the millennials are doing. And quite frankly, I don't know that anybody could define what a millennial was. I mean, you, you ask mm. a, a room full of 30 people, how do you define millennial? And you get 30 different answers. And so we said, if we want to project what's going to happen in the future, and really that's, that's what our clients pay us for, is help them understand what the future looks like for their, their businesses. If you want to understand that future, we've got to at least level the playing field. Let's have a, some common terms that we can all agree upon and help just bring some real clarity to these demographic conversations. Um, we know that, that real estate is heavily dependent on, on demographic trends, but quite frankly, Every business that relies on household formation, household demand, um, that is, all this, this demographic conversation is relevant to them as well. And so that's ultimately what drove that, the, the genesis of this book is how do we clarify this and bring some sense to this conversation um, so that we can make better predictions about, about the future. And as we went through that, we identified here's a number of real big trends that we see are already occurring or, or that are coming down the pike based on you know, an aging in place of the population or, um, you know, things we see in terms of immigration, uh, in terms of the economy, in terms of government policy. So we, we really kind of looked at four big areas, uh, government policy, economic conditions, advances in technology, and then just sort of these general societal shifts. You know, we look at the, the, 
age of marriage or the rate at which people are having kids. Um, so those kinds of things um, all really influence demographic trends. And we said, let's, let's put some real numbers behind these instead of just having a, a generic conversation. About, here's what the boomers are doing because this is what my parents are doing. Or here's what the millennials are doing because my kid is doing this and he's a millennial. Um, and so we said, if we can put some real numbers behind this, make some, some categories or some terms that everybody can at least understand where we're coming from and we get it at a level playing field, then we can start really projecting what's going to happen in the future. And so that's, that's sort of where that genesis for the, the book came from. And then as we think about the future, and I have to give full credit to one of my colleagues, Michaela Sharp, who has given really a lot of thought about this. How does the COVID um, era affect some of these demographic shifts going forward? I think what we have to do is really kind of look at what was already happening um, prior to COVID and then figure out how do the behaviors that were forming during this pandemic uh, impact um, how do they accelerate or decelerate those trends? And that's ultimately going to help us make some uh, decisions about, about how those trends then continue in the future. Um, you know, I th and she gives this great analogy. She says, I think we're all inclined to think that uh, COVID created grocery delivery service, right? So everybody's getting their groceries either delivered to them or, you know, somebody goes and does their shopping for them at the store and they, you just go and drive up and pick it up. And, just, that's not that's not really the case. We were already had this in place beforehand. It's just now accelerated by by COVID, and so um, we want to be cognizant of that as we're thinking about the future. Um, we talk about working from home a lot. I mean, you know, a lot of people are working from home. There's a lot of people who can't work from home. Um, you know, the the percentage of the, the workforce that's working from home today is probably not going to be the percentage of the people that are working from home three years from now or even a year from now. And so we can't just take what's happening right now in the midst of a, an emergency situation and use that as our assumption for the future. We have to kind of think about, is this a temporary change or is this, this going to be more of a permanent thing? This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Right. Yeah. And it, it, I agree with you as far as the acceleration of trends, it seems to be, you know, the biggest piece of what's happened this year thus far, especially you look at a technological shift, right? One of the, one of the big four influencers that you guys talk about, obviously, and just recapping those from a government standpoint, from an economy standpoint, technology and societal shifts are the big four influencers to, you know, trends from a demographic standpoint. And I think it is important to, to just recap as well is that you can break down those generations. Like when you say millennial, I mean, that's a big range of, you know, age ranges and same thing, you know, for baby boomers. And so really, you know, kind of dialing in, you know, from a, you know, each decade is really a big difference. And you think about, you know, how the economy has been for folks who, you know, maybe considered baby boomers or maybe, you know, had born in, you know, were born in the sixties or the fifties or whatever, they had a different experience. And so they've made different decisions based on that kind of stuff. And I think it's very fascinating. So, you know, one of the big things that I find to be interesting about the pandemic has been, you know, work from home. You mentioned work from home and a lot of folks are, you know, perhaps maybe a year from now or two years from now may or may not still be working from home, but I do think that there will be a large, you know, acceleration in that pattern. And so you look at a place like, you know, San Francisco as an example, right? You got a lot of folks who live in San Francisco because of the, you know, technology job opportunities. And so obviously housing demand skyrockets. And so supply and demand, you have a very high cost of living. And so then folks are saying, well, wait a minute, I can still do this job. I can still earn a great living, but I don't have to live here. And so let me look for a different place to live and, you know, keep more of what I earn and have maybe a better quality of life. And so I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. But I mean, have you put any thought uh, to that sort of shift as one particular item? Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, um, we, we came up with this newsletter we called the great American move. And the whole idea behind that was, you know, during this time, I think we're going to see uh, a number of either households or businesses or both relocating um, as a result of just the way things have, have changed. Um, I think people want to be closer to family. I, for us, certainly, uh, we've missed being close to family. And we got a chance to visit with some of those this last week. And it was it was hard leaving because we hadn't seen them in six months. And um, 
so I, I think some of those those family ties are going to be a little bit stronger. And you know, I was actually talking with our CEO this morning about we've been saying for a while that the new amenity in retirement is not the golf course anymore. It's being near your kids and near your grandkids. And I think this only accelerates that. I think people want to be close to, to family. They realize the importance of home and the importance of family during this time. So things like that, I think definitely get accelerated during this time. In terms of work from home, um, I think it's going to change floor plans a bit, or at least the, the types of homes that people are desiring. They may want to have that extra bedroom that they can use as a home office. You know, maybe they were making do with a, uh, a space at the kitchen table or, you know, the dining room table or something like that. But now if they're going to be working from home more often, they want a dedicated space where they can actually close a door and maybe keep some of that noise out. Um, as we looked at home offices, that was a big factor for people having that, that door that you can actually close and, and maintain some, some quiet. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a big thing. And so I think, you know, as people are thinking about um, how the world will change and how they're, they want to live, um, it only affects not just where they want to live, but also um, the, the homes that they live in. Uh, they'll make some decisions around that that are influenced by this, this pandemic, for sure. So outside of the accelerated trends that were already identified to a large degree, I mean, is there anything new that you guys are seeing on the landscape based on this? You know, let's face it, it's been a black swan event, right, in many different capacities. Is there any new trends that you're seeing? You know, um, there are some. I, I've really been focused on what were the things that were already occurring and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, people moving out of the cities and into the suburbs. We've actually been seeing that happen for the last several years. As we look at the biggest cities in the, in the country, um, the growth rate in those countries has been slowing for, for several years now. And I think a lot of that is due to the millennial population is aging to those family formation years. They want um, their kids to be in a good school district. They want to have a bigger house and a, and a bigger yard uh, for their kids to play in. And so we were seeing them already move to the suburbs Prior to this, again, I think this kind of comes under the, uh, gets magnified under the, the lens of, of COVID. And, and so we'll see more emphasis on it, but it was something that was already occurring. And, and so that's a, a way that I, I, I want to think about this. What were the trends that we saw happening already? And how does that, how does COVID behaviors, uh, like I said, accelerate or decelerate those? Right. Um, we're big on, on suburban growth. We think that's, that's the way of the future. Not to say that uh, the cities won't grow as well. But we do think that it's time for the suburbs to get, maybe capture a little bit bigger share as we go forward. Yeah. Speaking of suburban, one one thing I love that you guys coined was suburban, right? You, you coined the new phrase of suburban, which is, you know, you'll, you'll have to describe that for the audience a little bit better than, than I will. So I won't butcher that for you, but <laughs> talk a little bit about that. I mean, are you still seeing that to be an accelerated trend here as well in terms of, you know, how that, how that trend is really kind of metastasizing? Yeah. So I think the, the concept of suburban was just – urban conveniences in traditionally suburban environments. I think we saw a lot of suburbs look at the success that big cities had had by investing in their downtowns. And they said, we want some of that same success as well. And so you do see some investments that has occurred in, in small suburban downtowns, um, really trying to create an authentic downtown atmosphere where you've got walkable retail, walkable, you know, restaurant, you got a vibrant restaurant scene. You've got maybe a mix of employment and, um, and, and residences all in the same place. The way I like to describe it, you you don't necessarily need a car during the week uh, because you can walk to work, you can bike to work, uh, bike to the stores, walk to the stores, but you might want a car on the weekends to get out of town. And so the idea that you have sort of that work, live, play all in the same um, area and it's in the suburbs, it's, it's a concept that, you know, is commonly referred to as mixed use, but quite frankly, does anybody really want to say I live in a mixed use community? It just doesn't sound... <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't sound right. So we came up with this term um, and we, we said, you know, it's, it's hard to quantify what a suburban area is, but you kind of know it when you see it and when you feel it. And I've had a chance to, to tour the country uh, in my job and, and really see some of these mini downtowns and, and suburban areas that have really had great success in drawing both business and also drawing people to, uh, to live there as well. Yeah. No, well, you know, all, all us real estate entrepreneurs, we love the, the, the phrase mixed use. Come on. It's like, come on, <laughs> everybody get on board here. But, but yeah, there's definitely a, a level of, you know, it's, it's a nice, nice phrase, nice branding for a suburban sort of, you know, center core or what, what have you. But, you know, one thing I find to be fascinating, you know, I got into the, into my professional life as a marketer because I was always fascinated uh, with, you know, consumer behavior and psychology behind, you know, con consumption. And I think about, you know, this accelerating trend of 
retail consumption and you look around and you see, you know, retailers going out of business left and right. And you see Amazon thriving, I mean, to a, to a larger degree than they ever have. And so, I mean, how does that impact cities? How does that impact traffic patterns and what becomes a valuable piece of real estate versus what becomes, you know, a much less valuable piece of real estate and how does that impact, you know, occupancy and all of these different things? I mean, what, what kind of thought have you put to that? Yeah, I was just talking with, uh, with our CEO about this this morning. You know, you look at the companies that have been really successful during this pandemic, and it's it's clearly it's a lot of the tech companies, Amazon and the the delivery service, um, you know, have really done done quite well. I, you know, I, I think stores are not dead, but I think we're going to have to rethink um, some of the retail models. Um, we've definitely seen stores close. Uh, we've seen uh, people buying more things online and already, I mean, that was a growing trend for sure, but it, I think it's again, become accelerated during this time. Um, so maybe the retail, you know, storefront isn't quite as important as it once was. And, you know, what's going to fill that space. And so we've done a lot of talk about Serbin and the idea that, um, you know, there might be some other uses. I mean, certainly the malls have gotten a lot of press about um, this is really great, valuable land. Um, that's, you know, the malls are, at least in some areas, uh, have not succeeded and they're planning to turn down and, and, and put in some retail, or excuse me, put in some residential, uh, maybe a different kind of retail uh, in, in its place. And so there has been um, some of that already occurring. And I think we'll probably see more of that as we go forward. Yeah, no, I think it's super important just to pay attention and to be ready to be adaptable, right? If you, if you look across the landscape, it's what can we do to repurpose this opportunity? If you're a retail investor or you're a general real estate practitioner and you find an opportunity that may have made made sense in a previous market, but now it needs to be repurposed to, you know, shift towards what the, what the demands of the marketplace are, you know, obviously there's going to be vast opportunities perhaps. And I think the other thing that's important to look at is, you know, what's happening with the economy. And I mean, you look at unemployment to a, to a huge degree. I mean, it's something that we've never seen before. And, you know, how does this shift uh, really kind of metastasize over the next decade plus? And what does this do to, you know, consumer wealth or cons- consumption patterns and, you know, liquidity and all of these different things? And, and I think about that is, you know, the reason why I think that way is, you know, what does occupancy look like? What is it, you know, does this drive, you know, a higher demand for rentals or, you know, or otherwise, or does it drive a higher demand for, you know, purchasing single family homes because people are placing a higher degree of importance on their primary residence. And so what do you say to that? I mean, obviously there's no silver bullet to this answer, but how do you look at that, that question? Were you listening to my conversation with John this morning? Because I mean, you're asking all the exact questions we were just talking about. We are hearing from our, our builder clients, like this is the best housing market that they've, they've experienced in their, in their careers. Um, there is demand. People want to say, look, if we ever have to go through something like this again, I don't want to be stuck in a house that I don't like. And so we, and, and quite frankly, we've got mortgage rates now that begin with the two. Like this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime for, for many people. And so we are seeing real strength on the for sale side. Now it remains to be seen how much of that is just catch up from, you know, those, those few months where we had very slow sales. Uh, we had no traffic going through the model homes and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I think there's really some opportunity on, on the for sale side. That said, we're also seeing, you know, strong occupancies on the for rent side as well, uh, both in the apartments and on the single family rentals. Um, the, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the press about missed rent payments. And, and actually, it's it's not been that bad compared to, um, you know, to even before prior, prior to COVID. I mean, we, we've seen a little bit of a dip in, in uh, people paying their rent on time, but it's not you know, 30%, it's, it's, it's small percentages that we're talking about. So I think the for rent side is, is strong as well. Um, I do say, I do want to say though, that I think we're in a little bit of a time where we're, we're calling it the artificial economy. Uh, we've got so much government stimulus that's come in and really helped um, keep people paying their rent. I mean, we can talk about $600 a week in unemployment um, benefits above what they're getting from the, the state. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge boost. And we saw headlines talking about people who were not going back to work because they were making more money in unemployment than they were, uh, than they were working. And so um, this the government stimulus has been tremendous. And, um, you know, I think it saved us from a lot of uh, distress in the market. 
I'm just I'm kind of thinking about well, what happens when some of that government stimulus starts to dissipate and, and go away. And so, you know, I think we'll probably see a little bit more distress in the market once that does uh, start to go away. But this is playing out much better than than I think we thought it would. And, and for sure, I think a lot of people thought it would. Um, and that is really helped by the government stimulus. The one caveat I would say to that, though, is that, um, you know, if this was the solution, um, then the government would be writing checks all day long to keep the economy afloat, right? So there's got to be something on the other side of this, and you know maybe that's inflation, um, but there's something on the other side of this that we're going to wind up paying for somehow, in one shape or form. Um, but as right as for right now, I think things are playing out better than we thought that they they would have. Yeah, and I, I could not agree more with that. I mean, it's almost like you know each month it's like pleasant surprise. You know, okay, we're we're kind of making it through this thing, but you know, obviously a lot of people are having extreme challenges in this time as well, even with government stimulus. And you know, you look at so many businesses, you know, going bankrupt and all of these different things. So you definitely our heart goes out to those people, and and um, there's no doubt about that. And at the same time, you know, thinking of what are the potential alternate futures that we may experience. You know, if you know if all of this goes bad or, or if it continues to go the way it has and it's like, okay, well, this is great. And you know, the housing market is strong. The rental market is strong. Maybe it'll continue to be that way as it's backstopped by government stimulus. And perhaps, you know, you look at it, we, we've had economists on the show. We've had others who are, are, are thoughtful in terms of where, you know, this is going and, and, and experience in terms of making predictions. And obviously investors have to make predictions to a, to a large degree, but you know, what, what is possible here? What is possible from here on out? Obviously, if we experience a V-shaped like recovery that many have said is possible or a U-shaped recovery or a W or even an L, right? You know, you look at uh, perhaps a, an extended, you know, recession or even perhaps a depression. I mean, we have no idea what's going to happen, you know, in the election this year as well. So, I mean, considering best, you know, middle and worst case scenarios, I mean, how do you envision the future from a housing perspective? And is there any way that you can even make that that prediction today? But I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, you know, I, so there's a couple of things. One that's, that's really different this time is just the, the sheer number of temporary layoffs. We've never seen a surge like that. And these are people who are saying, you know what, I've been told I'll, I'll get my job back or, um, you know, I have a, a return date in mind that my employers told me. Um, we've never seen this kind of level. And, and for me, uh, I, I have to wonder, if you ask the employee and you ask the employer about the prospects of that person coming back to work, are they the same? Um, are the, are the, does the employee think, oh, my prospects are pretty good at coming back? Would, they, would their employer tell you the same thing? And so I, I think that's the, the thing I'm really keeping my eye on is how many of these temporary jobs um, or temporary job losses uh, ultimately become permanent job losses. Uh, I've been actually really pleasantly surprised by how much that has come back, um, but we're still at, at you know levels we've never seen of, of people being laid off uh, temporarily. So that's that's something I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Our, our thought was, you know, and, and again, I'm not great at predicting medical, <laughs> the, the future of medicine either, um, but we, we kind of came up with this idea of a, what we call the reverse J, where we kind of I'm going to see if I can get this right on the, on the Zoom call here, but it kind of comes back up and then maybe it kind of goes down a little bit and comes back up. And each time it, as it comes back up, it comes up back a little bit higher. But the idea is, you know, if, if we have to go through um, instances like this, uh, again, where we have to shut down for a while or lock down for a little while, we may see things slow for a bit and then they start to come back and we see things slow down and come back a little bit. So it's not going to be a straight line. I don't think it's going to be a, um, a complete V recovery. And, and one thing that John has been doing a great job of, of saying is we really kind of have to look at this in three different ways. It's, it's the, uh, the medical recovery, you know, what is the prospects for health uh, recovery? What is the prospect for the, the general economy uh, recovering? And what is the prospect for housing to, to come back? And so, um, you know, it's really three different conversations. And so we are looking at those three things differently um, and individually, but ultimately that's going to help us drive our, and they influence each other and help us drive our forecasts. But those are three different recoveries that we are, we're looking at. Yeah. And the fascinating thing about all this is that, you know, you look back on human history and you say, wow, human beings are resilient and they adapt, you know, when challenges are faced, you know, we adapt accordingly. And so I think that's why this discussion is so interesting is because, you know, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I don't think that way. And I, I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners don't as well. It's like, where's the opportunity here and where will the shifts occur? So being thoughtful and, and thinking about that is super important. And, and I almost look at, 
you know, your all's book as a bit of a manual in how to think about this and how to approach this. And, and you, one of the things I found fascinating is you talk about, you know, the big four influencers, right. You know, but they occurred during people's five main life stages. And you talk about, you know, childhood, early career, family formation, late career, retirement. So when big shifts occur, right, you know, through government or through economy or through technology or societal shifts, you know, during these different stages of people's lives, it impacts different generations differently. So, I mean, did you speak a little bit right now how everything in 2020 has really been impacting? I mean, I know that this is a very wide ranging question here, but if you were to touch on maybe two or three of the, you know, largest population sort of, uh, you know, generations, what would you say to that? Sure. Actually, I want to go back to one thing real quick. You talked about people adapting and yeah. what is, what are the opportunities? And I, a client of mine told us this, this story and I love it because it relates to housing. And he said, you know, we went through a labor shortage in, in housing decades ago and um, we were still plastering walls at the time. And because of a labor shortage, we had to come up with a more innovative way to to do walls. And that's how drywall is invented. So like technology adapt and we, the human uh, society adapted and figured out a better solution um, due to the the problem that was being caused. And so I think you're exactly, I think you're exactly right. That's Uh, huge. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I'm sorry. I I really appreciate that because we have to look at it as frame it as an opportunity because, you know, challenges come, but they're a seed for a blessing for a greater benefit in the future. So I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're already seeing some advances in tech. We've been experiencing a labor shortage in, in housing. Um, we, we didn't have enough, you know, builders didn't have enough workers to, to build the homes. Um, and so we're coming up with new technologies that are going to help us build those, those homes better and faster. Um, and, and in ways that we can still build the, the number of homes that we need um, with maybe fewer workers. And so, I, you know, I think that the pandemic is also going to influence not just the housing industry, that influences other businesses as well. We're going to learn, you know, new things. Um, we can do away with the things that we, that aren't necessary and we become more efficient at the things that are necessary. We've seen that in our own business and um, you know, it's, it's, it's really just a constant game of adapting um, to your, to your circumstances. Um, but I do want to come back to your, your question about sort of what are the different life stages? How are they impacted um, by some of these, these trends? You know, I'm going to start with the retirees first off. And we've got this massive wave of, of people who are going to be turning 65 years old um, over this, this next decade. It's the oldest of the, or excuse me, the, the biggest number of boomers now starts to reach retirement age um, over this next decade. Um, you know, we are about to see the, the 65 plus population in the U.S. grow I think 38% from 19, uh, 2015 to 2025. We've never seen a surge like that in our country before. And so, um, you know, they're coming out of the workforce, most of them. Some are still staying in the workforce. I think in, in terms of pandemic, um, I think some are retiring early uh, or earlier than they thought they would have. Maybe they're um, not working to 68. Uh, they're, they said, you know what, it's, I'm 65, I'm ready to retire. And I got laid off or I lost my job. Um, it's okay. I can, I can retire now. And so I think, uh, and especially if their 401ks have largely recovered, you know, <laughs> after the stock market collapsed or came or went down and now they, the 401ks are, are back up. Um, I think we are seeing more people start to, to retire. And again, I, I come back to this idea, they want to be near their families. And so I think we will see some relocations um, maybe accelerated for the older adults. Um, one thing I'm really thinking about a lot about is it's just the younger generations, whether it's elementary school kids or, or college age kids, sort of what are their prospects um, for, for education and, and the workforce beyond that. Uh, we've definitely seen the education system disrupted as a result of this with more kids uh, learning from home and quite frankly, unsure about what the next few weeks are going to you know entail, uh, whether they're, they're learning from home or they're learning in, in person. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for the education system to really kind of um, think about what are the long-term prospects look like for, for a, new, a different model or, or some adjustments to the model for, for education. Um, John was telling me today that in the UK, they, they're doing second grade classes on, over the TV. And so, you know, all second graders in the UK are, are getting, the, um, getting the same lesson. It's, it's not through internet, it's, it's through, the, the, through the TV. Wow. I, you know, he was telling me that today. I, I've not actually read about it, but I think that's, that's an interesting idea. And so are there some opportunities or things we can take advantage of? Um, you know, I, my heart really goes out to like students in college 
where the college experience is such a, a formative part of your, your life and to have that taken away. Um, and then also, you know, to, to be a graduating senior this last year and entering a workforce where you're not sure if you have a, an office to go to. And I, I don't know what it looks like for companies hiring people right out of college to work from home. I, I, you know, we've we always kind of said that um, for our own employees, that's something you, you kind of earn. You kind of have to prove yourself a little bit that you can be productive and work in an office environment. Um, and then you sort of earn that that right to be able to work from home or that flexibility. Um, I think that's changed, but I got to think it's, it's hard to um, enter the, the working world right now when there's just so many unknowns. Uh, I agree. I agree. And also just the networking piece. Um, oh, it's like if you've, you've already got a, a, you know, an established network and you're really just building those relationships, I do feel like technology can allow you to continue to push that ball forward. But if you're trying to establish new relationships, I can see it being an extreme challenge because it's like, you know, who's this guy across the, uh, you know, the Zoom call here for me, you know. I think, you know, just, and John and I were talking about this this morning as well. I think it extends even beyond just sort of the business world, but just like interpersonal relationships have, have changed uh, so much. And we have, I think my family, we've been probably a little bit more on the conservative side in terms of going out and doing things. We really haven't seen anybody. Um, and we went out and took a little trip this last week to visit some family out of state. And it was hard coming back because we just missed being around people, mm. um, you know, and, and, and having just even a week of, of being around others. Um, it was so nice. And, and it was hard to come back from that and kind of go back to our not totally locked down lives, but at least, uh, you know, reduced interaction in person. And I think about even for my kids as well, um, just to see them, they play well with each other, but to see them playing with other kids, especially my two year old who really has grown a lot in these last six months and has not had a lot of interaction with other kids. Uh, we didn't see a lot of interaction between her and other kids uh, prior to that outside our family. And so that's just been, it was a lot of fun and to see that and then to kind of have to go back to the way we, we've been for the last few months. It's, it's a challenge. And I think there are going to be some um, effects of that on just on interpersonal relationships. No um, doubt. Interact with people. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting is that, you know, as this persists, you know, for a certain level of time, you know, months and months and months at a time, you know, human beings are very habitual. And when you do something for, you know, who, who, who knows, Harvard says 66 days, other people say 77 days, 71, whatever, you know, it becomes a habit, right? It becomes a routine and, and your lifestyle becomes something entrenched, you know, whether it's your, your neural networks or, or just the way that you live your life, it just becomes a, a new function of who you are. And so it takes time to kind of get out of that. And I find it to be fascinating is that, you know, the, the new habits that are being formed, you know, are sort of perhaps a seismic shift in, in the way that people behave from a consumer, you know, perspective and just from where they're migrating to and all these different things. And one thing that I do find to be interesting as well is I'd love to know your thoughts on, you know, how immigration is impacted by this, obviously with this being a global pandemic and every nation really across the world has been impacted to one degree or another. Obviously America has been impacted perhaps to a larger degree than many. Um, and, you know, it seems, at least you guys had talked about it in the book, is that, you know, most of our, a lot of our population growth has come through affluent, you know, global immigration. And so I'd love to know sort of what are your thoughts there and has that accelerated or has that shifted in any different direction? Sure. Um, yeah. So we had basically described in the book, you know, a third of the recent population growth was driven by immigration from other countries. So when you look at the net increase in people in our country, one third of that uh, was driven by um immigration as opposed to, you know, births minus deaths. Um, and the census was actually forecasting that a third of population growth for the next 10 years was going to be, again, driven by, by immigration. Um, we've seen in the last few years uh, that immigration numbers have, have started to decelerate and come down a bit, um, half the rate of which we were doing just, you know, a few years ago. And um, you know, there's a number of different reasons for that. I think government policy plays a huge part in that. Um, but we're starting to see those numbers already decline even before before COVID. And now we've basically effectively shut down our, our borders uh, for the time being. Um, so, I, you know, that's only going to make 2020 look even um, more dramatic, I think. And then I just do wonder about, you know, from a health perspective or just are we going to be more reticent to um, open our borders? And also, um, are we going to see, be seen as less friendly to, to immigrants? 
as a country? I, I don't know. I mean, that's just some of the things I'm thinking about. I do think that we're not going to see, you know, a third of our growth driven by, by immigration. And I think ultimately we're probably going to have slower growth in, in terms of the population as a result. Um, and that's, you know, hugely important for some markets uh, that rely heavily on, on foreign workers or just residents to, um, to help their economy grow. And so, you know, it affects certain markets more than others. But, um, but I do think that is probably going to contribute to a slowing of the, the growth in the U.S., uh, just in terms of our population and, and households. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Yeah. And from a real estate investing perspective, to me, it all boils down to supply and demand, right? I mean, is your, is your demand growing and is your supply, how is your supply, you know, is it growing or is it shrinking or is it staying flat? And I find it to be fascinating. You know, I'm a multifamily real estate investor. And so we think about all of these factors. We think about international immigration. We also think about domestic you know, migration. And one of the things you talked, you guys talked about is really, you know, the Sunbelt states have, have experienced a, a great shift uh, in terms of domestic migration from, you know, other maybe more expensive locations, um, cost of living, obviously weather, all of these different reasons, perhaps even government uh, influence there. So talk to me about that. I mean, is that continuing to just accelerate um, in that capacity or any shifts that you're exp- expecting from that perspective as well? Yeah, I think you hit all the nails on the head right there. Um, I think, you know, the, the states in the South have also been really um, proactive in reaching out to other parts of the country and trying to to get businesses to, to move to the South. You saw a lot of auto manufacturing go South. Um, you know, they're offering incentives for businesses to relocate and affordability certainly plays into it. I think for the retiree uh, living in the Midwest or the Northeast, the weather certainly plays into it. Um, and so you are seeing those, those trends for the South. Um, it was, again, a trend that has been occurring for, for decades. We've seen more and more of that growth to, to the South. But um, I, I do think from an affordability standpoint and from um, weather and, and really from a, even a job standpoint as well, I think we are continuing to see that migration occur. There's a great um, sort of out-of-the-box indicator that we use to look at this migration trends. There's a lot of lag in the migration data. But one of the things we do each month is we go and look at U-Haul trucks and we say, what's the rate to move from D.C. to Houston, uh, you know, to rent a truck from D.C. to Houston? And then what's the, the cost of to renting the, the truck the same way or, or the reverse direction? So we'll go from Houston to D.C. And so if you, if you see an area where they've got a lot of, of U-Haul trucks, um, that means that's where the migration is going to. And if there's an area where there's where there's a shortage of U-Haul trucks, that's where people are leaving. And so that's actually been a really uh, kind of cool indicator for us to at least think about this analogy, you know, analogy or the anecdotally, um, what are some ways that we can kind of think about how uh, people are, are migrating uh, in real time? And it's, it's a kind of a neat little indicator we look at. That's super interesting. I, I love that. And I'm almost like, I told you before the show, it's like I, I nerd out on this stuff. I find it to be so fascinating. Are there any other really interesting indicators that you guys look at that show you sort of where potential future, uh, you know, su- you know, demand may be growing in, in certain capacities or is there anything else you point to? I mean, job growth is, is ultimately the, the biggest one. So we're trying to keep uh, on, on tabs or on track of where um, where jobs are, are growing. Um, and that's, you know, that's the biggest indicator, I think, for where, uh, where we can see the demand for housing going. Um, and just I think it's also really important to look at the, the aging of the population as well. And so I, that's in my role as demographer. I'm trying to really understand, OK, these are retiree heavy areas. We know that there's you know, a surge of retirees coming what's the likelihood that they actually move to, to one of these areas. So I'm, I'm trying to keep tabs on uh, life stage um, and, and age uh, information um, 
we also just, you know, are looking a lot at the supply as well and sort of what is coming to, to market. Um, master plan communities that are being planned for the, for the future. Um, we do a lot of work in trying to help some of those move forward in terms of doing the due diligence or the feasibility work for those. Um, but trying to really help understand who is their target demographic and is there enough um, of that uh, that would potentially, enough of that demographic that would potentially move to, to those locations. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Is there any uh, major technology shifts that maybe aren't readily apparent that you're kind of, uh, you know, really keeping your finger on the pulse uh, to really identify if there's going to be any major shifts? I mean, obviously, work from home is one that I think of, you know, immediately. But is there anything outside of that that you're really keeping tabs on? Yeah, so two things I would say. One, um, and this is kind of still far out there, I, I think, but the driverless car. Um, I do have to wonder what impact this is going to have on where people choose to live. Because if we've, you know, we've become such a car centric society, um, if you can all of a sudden have a, an automatic, you know, a driverless car that can take you from your home in the rural area to the job center in the suburbs or job center in the city, and you can work during that time, um, that makes that decision to move out more rurally a little bit more, uh, a little easier. I'm not, I don't know how far away we are from that. But the other thing that I, I also think is just in terms of, of real estate, that opens up a lot of prime real estate that um, I think is currently occupied by like car dealerships. It's occupied by gas stations. It's occupied by parking lots. So if we actually do move towards this society where we, we and I, again, I have no idea how close we are to this, but where cars become, we become less car centric. Um, I think there's a lot of prime real estate that can be opened up and, and repurposed for other, other uses. Uh, the other thing I'm thinking a lot about too, is just sort of the home technology as well. And, um, you know, there's, you can say we haven't made a ton of advancements in the way that we build the house. We still build houses with nails and, and, you know, lumber and that sort of thing. And, and, and fundamentally the house is, is very similar to the way we built it 50, 60 years ago. Obviously there's been a lot of technological, technological advancements in the building products that make them more energy efficient. And, um, but I do see we are moving towards more of a sort of a modular um, offsite um, build process where maybe you're not manufacturing the entire home offside offsite um, but you're manufacturing more parts of it offsite and then bringing it and piecing together on site and so we are seeing starting to see some technologies that are emerging where again more parts of those homes are being assembled on site or built offsite and then assembled on on site um, which you know makes the build process uh, smoother and also more um, more timely as well so those technologies are starting to emerge and I think they will become more popular. I think some of the stigma that people may associate with, you know, manufactured housing, uh, no, there's nothing wrong with manufactured housing, but I think there's sort of a stigma um, in some people's minds associated with that. I think that that's going away as they see really just how these products are um, being, are more efficient and, and quite frankly, can be more precise. I mean, when you've got machinery um, that, can, that can do this very precisely, it makes the, uh, the build process a lot easier. Yeah. And beyond that, I've even seen, you know, 3D printers out there printing houses. And it's like, you know, do we get to a point where you can print a, an apartment complex or something right. like that? I mean, it's absolutely fascinating to really think about. And, and I, I'm with you on driverless cars. I mean, I've got friends who've, you know, drive Teslas and they've got functionality where they're kind of driverless to a certain degree on the highway and all these different things. So I think it's, it's really interesting. And I think they've got updates to where it does become, you know, largely driverless. So I think we're pretty close. We're, we're closer than a lot of people think. And the other thing that I think is really interesting on this, is you mentioned it a few times, you said prime real estate may become, you know, repurpose. And obviously that's the other pieces that I want to, I'm wondering about is does prime real estate, does that need to be redefined? Because traffic patterns are what defines prime real estate to a large degree, obviously from a, you know, a retail or, you know, some, sometimes on multifamily from a visibility standpoint. Um, so, I mean, have you thought about that at all in terms of redefining what prime real estate looks like in the future? Yeah, I just, I mean, ultimately, I think people want to be in great locations. And, you know, that's kind of the, the mantra of the, the real estate business, right? It's location, location, location. Um, I, I do think if we disrupt traffic patterns, you're right. We may see sort of a, a redefining of what primary real estate is. And it's going to, you know, differ by, by person, by geography. But I, I do think you're right. There is maybe some redefinition that may come along with that. Yeah, no, I love it. Chris, this has been 
outstanding. I really, really appreciate you taking time. I want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being excellent. It's all about striving for greatness and really, you know, expanding your levels of competency and, and bringing on folks like Chris under your team so that you can truly understand, you know, where's the puck going so that you can make strategic and thoughtful long-term decisions because it's all about being successful long-term in real estate and in business because, you know, that's what it's all about. And obviously there's going to continually be shifts. So with all that said, the rare air questionnaire, let me just start off, obviously as an author yourself, I always, I always like to know, I mean, if you were to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read, you know, whether it's business related or otherwise, what would those be? Yeah. I mean, in terms of a book having an impact on my life, I mean, I think the book that we wrote came back to my life. I mean, it, it was a good three years of, of my life. Um, I had two kids during that and my wife had two kids during that, <laughs> that time, but we, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those projects that um, the deeper we dug into it, the more fascinated we became by the data. And, and so um, that's actually, I mean, I, it sounds like I'm self-promoting here, but I have to say like that actually that book has, has really impacted my life. And now it enables me to, to speak at conferences and talk with people like you about, you know, just some of the research that we've done. So um, from a, from a, a little bit of a self-promotional <laughs> standpoint, I think that has had a big impact on me. Um, certainly I, I can't, I'd be remiss to, to say, um, or to forget to mention the Bible. Um, but I think from a business standpoint, um, or at least just kind of a, a more of an educational or, or nonfiction standpoint, there's a book called uh, Predictably Irrational um, by a behavioral economist named Dan Ariely. And he just challenges some of the, the notions that we have. I mean, he, we kind of, in economics, think a lot about, um, well, a rational person would do this. And he's, well, we don't always behave rationally. And, and so as a behavioral economist, he says, you know, we, we don't behave rationally, but we tend to behave irrationally in the same patterns. And so he kind of looks at why do we make the same mistakes over and over again um, instead of just doing the things right. Um, and so it was, it was a fascinating book and I just, I kind of love the, the economy or the economist uh, perspective on it, but then also the psychology behind it as well. Why do we do the things that we do? And when we make mistakes, why do we keep making those mistakes over and over again? So it's, I don't know, it's really expanded the way that I, I think about problems and that's ultimately what I, what I am. I'm a problem solver and, you know, I like doing puzzles and then the way that John and I talk a lot about sort of our company and about my role specifically is I'm trying to figure out a puzzle. Um, in some cases, I don't know what the puzzle looks like. You know, you don't have that picture on the box like you do with a jigsaw puzzle um, always. And, and sometimes you're having to, you know, make some new pieces to kind of fit into that puzzle. But um, ultimately that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. And so anything, like that, that predictably irrational book where it just gives me a little bit more insight into sort of the consumer mindset and, and rational thinking versus irrational thinking. I love that stuff. That's, that's right up my alley. That's awesome, man. And that's such a fun response too, because I can tell how impactful that book was to you. And I find that just the title itself to be extremely fascinating, Predict predictably irrational. And, you know, human beings, we are predictably ir irrational. And, and another book that I would just add onto this, just from a psychological perspective, and even taking it a step further in a negotiation perspective is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And it's really about, you know, human beings being irrational. Because if you look at it, you know, there, another book that I recommend for folks looking to really stack on their talent or skills in negotiation is Getting to Yes. And it was written by the folks at the Harvard uh, Negotiation Project. And, and, and it is super valuable, but it is very rational. It's all about the rationality. It's all about the principles. It's about identifying the outcomes and separating those to, you know, what's more important to you, what's more important to me. But at the end of the day, human beings are irrational. And I find it to be fascinating. And it really aligns with the work that you guys do to really understand the predictable irrationalities behind all of that. So super fascinating. And also I can tell that it was such a love, uh, a passion project for you guys to create the book that you did. So thank you again for doing that and really enjoyed it myself. I know many others have as well. So uh, it's awesome to hear that it was also impactful for you. But uh, beyond that and beyond sharing, obviously, what you do uh, from a professional standpoint, what would you say is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think for me, it's um, I think this applies to both my personal life. Um, it applies to, to, to work as well, but just kind of my mentality in life is like, how can I help? And, um, I look for the opportunities where I can, where I can be of assistance, whether it's, you know, doing something, taking on a project to work or whether it's, 
you know, doing something to help with the kids around the house um, or, you know, in my, my church, uh, it's, it's something that's really important to me. And, and I, um, I kind of just see those acts. I, I don't know. I don't want to sound, I want to be modest here, but I mean, like just opportunities for, for volunteering or for, for helping people. I and mean, that's kind of where I think my, um, where my gifts are. And, and so that's sort of my, my mantra, I think is just where, you know, looking for those opportunities to help. How can I help? Yeah. Your humility is an absolutely an endearing quality. So kudos to you for that. And um, no, I love that. I love just that question of how can I help? How can I help? And it really kind of leads me into this next question was, which is, you know, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Obviously, that's one big way. But you know, what else would you say to that question? Um, boy, that's, <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm pushing you beyond. You your, are, you uh, definitely push me out <laughs> my comfort zone here. But, um, I, you know, I, I think I just, I try to look for those needs where are people, um, whether they're doing well and, and just need to, some help to getting even further or whether they're, they're having a hard time and, and just need some help to get back on their, their feet. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I just kind of come from a mindset of like, I've been really blessed with what I have and, and what I can do and how can I just share that with others? And um, so that's, that's a big part for me is just kind of looking for those opportunities to, to help. I don't know. It's, it I sounds it. very similar to my, my answer from the other question, but that's not at all. No, I think, I, am. I think it's great. I mean, it's, it's identifying because everybody has a challenge. Everybody has a challenge they're dealing with and, and being willing to support that and being, clear and thoughtful in that I think is super important. So I love that answer. And I love just our conversation today, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? No, I just, man, this is a great podcast. I've mentioned you beforehand. We, uh, I listened to a few episodes before, recognized a few people that I, you know, indirectly knew. And uh, so it's just, I, I really appreciate what you're doing and the message that you're putting out there, uh, both from a business perspective, but also just for a, a life perspective as well. So just keep it up. That's, I, I love it. That's awesome, man. Thank you for the kind words. And thanks again for being on the show. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about what, what you do and, and your company and your consulting. Sure. So our company is John Burns Real Estate Consulting. Uh, we are a nationwide firm. I think a lot of people think of us as sort of a, a Southwest-based firm or a California firm, but uh, we really do work all over the, the country and um, working in, in for sale and for rent housing. Our, our website is realestateconsulting.com. You can find a little bit more information about us there. Our book, uh, which I thank you again for uh, promoting a bit, was uh, Big Shifts Ahead, and um, it's available for purchase. You can find it on the regular places, Amazon for sure, um, but uh, bigshiftsahead.com is our website, and that just has a little bit of information about the book, some of our presentations, uh, some of the graphics for our book, and you can even get it as an audio book, but you know, there's so many charts and graphs and that thing, I, I really recommend getting the, the hard copy and, and going through it. I would also just recommend people, you know, take it a chunk at a time. It's not necessarily a straight read-through. Um, we've gotten some comments, oh, this is a lot of repetition between chapters, and maybe there is, but our idea was not that somebody would necessarily read it through in one straight shot, but, you know, maybe read one chapter at a time, kind of think it through a little bit, and then as you go to the next chapter and you recognize something uh, from the previous chapter, like, oh, yeah, that was a callback from from before. So um, it's been really well received. I'm, I'm really excited that it's not just the real estate industry that's getting excited about it, but also um, we've got a lot of other companies and businesses, governments that are, um, that are seeing really the, the benefits of understanding those demographics that are shaping our country. And hopefully we brought some clarity to that, uh, that process for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I highly recommend the hard copy. I've got it right here over my right shoulder here. If you watch on YouTube <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, it, the visuals in the book, uh, are amazing and the charts, it makes it all so much more clear. And I think it is almost a living book. It's, it's like one of those things that helps you think about, you know, when the next, you know, events occur, you know, how can you think ahead and how can you make decisions and how can you be impactful and thoughtful in what you're doing and not miss the boat? Because look, man, I feel like things are accelerating faster and faster every single day. 
no matter what we're dealing with. And it's just a function of perhaps this modern society that we live in. But I, I just find it to be so fascinating. So we'll absolutely put links in the show notes of where you can find Chris, where you can find their company, uh, where you can really buy the book. I mean, at the end of the day, just go get the book. It's going to be a great investment for yourself. Uh, but I also encourage you to re-listen to the show because a lot of what we talked about is absolutely up to date, not only, but it's also actionable because, you know, look, I, I, I took a lot of notes here and I would highly encourage the listener to take notes as well. And how does this impact your business? How does this impact your partnerships, your, you know, your future family, your family right now, or, you know, whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, there's so much to take action on and it may, may or may not be relevant for your real estate business. It may or may not be relevant for anything else you're doing, but I think identifying and opening your mind to opportunities is super important. And uh, that's what we did today. So I encourage you to re-listen to the show, share this with someone else. You got to pay it forward. And let them know, hey, here are my top three key distinctions. Here's the top three things that I'm going to take action on. Tell me what you're going to take action on. Because at the end of the day, you know, the teacher really learns almost more perhaps than the student. So go out and share this with someone else and pay it forward. And at the end of the day, the most important piece is to take massive action. And with all that said, Chris, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. You're welcome, Tyler. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.